May we turn our Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, to the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And in the 16th verse of the ninth chapter, we have the words of our Savior. I will show thee how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. I will show thee how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. I turned last week to this book of Acts to show you some of the afflictions of the apostles as they started out preaching the gospel and that the antagonism and the hatred which had been manifest in the crucifixion of Christ carried over into the opposition and the uh, hatred of the preachers of the gospel. The case of Peter and and then the stoning of Stephen when he finished his first sermon and uh, the death of James, the brother of John. Herod put him to death and he saw it pleased the Jews so he took Peter and put him into jail. And when we come to the account of the conversion of the apostle Paul we find that in the very summons, the very uh, call which the Lord gave to the apostle, he told him that he would show him how many great things he would have to suffer. And immediately upon his conversion in this ninth chapter, when the Jews learned that Paul had made us about faced and that he was now seeking to preach Christ as he did in the synagogues. Uh, We read in verse 23, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. To kill him. And then in verse 29, at the end of verse 29, we read, But they went about to slay him. And as soon as the apostle Paul identified himself with the Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, there fell upon him all of the opposition which was abroad in the land against this new sect and against those who dared confess that Christ was the Messiah. And from the very beginning, Christianity has uh, met this terrific opposition from the unbelieving world and from those about who would not accept Christ as the Messiah. Now as you turn through the book of Acts, you have his missionary journeys and the troubles he had in town after town, how they drove him out of town, how he was stoned. And The apostle in Corinthians explains to us that he endured all these afflictions and persecutions, but he said, the Lord delivered me out of them all. The Lord delivered me out of them all. That in each instance he was looking to the Lord and uh, that the Lord had taken care of him. Now when he makes his final journey to Jerusalem, he goes up to Jerusalem. And in the 21st chapter of the book of Acts, if you'll turn to that please. You find that uh, on his way up to Jerusalem, he came to Caesarea. And when he was there, the brethren, in verse 11 we read, And when he was come unto us, 
He took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him unto the hands of the Gentiles. And when we, and we includes Luke, Luke is the physician now, the companion of Paul, and from here on you have uh, eyewitness accounts, from here on through the rest of the book of Acts, uh, Luke is with Paul, he's with him in Jerusalem when he was uh, rushed upon by the mob, he's been with him in all these different hearings, and with him on the shipwreck journey to uh, uh, Rome. Here you run into this we. When we heard these things, both we and they that of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. So even Luke, even Luke says, Paul, you've had enough trouble. You've had trouble everywhere you went. They've stoned you. They've left you for dead outside the city. And surely the time has come for you. Just, just don't go up to Jerusalem. Because here's the message that the Holy Spirit says that that's what's going to afflict you. And don't go up to Jerusalem. They besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 12. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not only not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I've been carrying up this collection, been taking it up all over Asia Minor for the saints in Jerusalem. But now I'm going up with the offering and I'm going to take it up there. And it's, it's, I feel I ought to go. And so he couldn't be dissuaded. He said, I'm not only ready to be bound, what's being bound? He says, if necessary, I'm ready to die for the Lord Jesus. He had seen him on the road to Damascus. And the Lord had commanded him to go forth and to carry this blessed message of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, two preachers will arrive in Philadelphia tomorrow, two of them. One of them from Belfast, Ireland, and the other one from London, England. One of them is a free Presbyterian, the other one is a strict Baptist. Both of these groups are associated with us. Both of these groups are in fellowship with us in our worldwide movement of Christian cooperation. But these men are coming over here to bring a report and to bear testimony and to represent three of our brethren who are in prison in North Ireland. Eon Paisley and John Wiley and Ivan Foster, three of them, and they are to be there until the 20th of October, three months, they're in prison. And I'm going to get into this story of Paul, and I want you to see a very close similarity to it in many ways. And then I want to draw the parallel between the condition here and what we're facing right now in our country and the type of accusation, the type of charge that's being made. In the uh, 21st chapter, in verse 27, we read, and when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw Paul in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying, Men of Israel, help! This is the man. This is the man. Now listen to what they say. That teacheth all men everywhere against the people. 
Here's our accusation. This is the man that's teaching all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. And then Luke adds at that point, verse 29, For they had seen before with him in the city, Trophimus, and Ephesian, whom they had supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. They had seen him associated with Paul. They had no evidence. They just made a, a general assumption and accusation on the basis of something that they'd seen. Now look at these charges, because this is the beginning of Paul's trouble from now on. He's a prisoner the rest of his life. This is the man. This man, Paul, had been preaching all over Asia Minor. This man, Paul, was on the lips, his name was on the lips of multiplied thousands of the Christians and also the Jews, because he was one of their chief persecutors. He was a Hebrew and of the highest level of the, of the Pharisees. And he was a constant battler with the Sadducees. And here this man, whom everybody knew, was going out binding the Christians. And he was zealous toward God to preserve the Old Testament ideals as the Pharisees has interpreted them for him in that day. And all of a sudden, this man is changed, completely changed. And it just takes the flash, it just takes the appearance of the risen Lord to him on the road to Damascus. And immediately turns around and that which he once persecuted, now he defends. And that which he once fought, now he, he spreads. And that which he now decried, now he preaches. And the change that took place in this man was a magnificent testimony to the Jews throughout the world and then to the Christians who accepted Christ and who became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, don't you think for one moment that the development of the Christian movement was any sort of a quiet, peaceful little affair? The Apostle Paul says that this thing has not been done in a corner. All Jerusalem was filled with their doctrine. Everybody knew that something had taken place and here you found more people and more people suddenly rising up and saying they believed in the Messiah and they believed that Jesus Christ had come to deal with their sin and to bring in the consolation of Israel. And in the midst of this there was tremendous conflict, tremendous controversy, tremendous strife on every hand. And consequently the moment anybody like Paul stood up and began to champion this new doctrine and to preach this new life they sought to kill him they sought to destroy him. beloved you and I are Christians we believe exactly what Paul believed no different and you and I going back down through these many centuries we are identified with this man Paul what they did to him and the way he's treated is the way in which you and I are treated and have been treated down through the history of the church. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I came not to send peace, but a sword, to set a man at variance with his father and a daughter with his mother. And he says, you're going to have all kinds of tribulation and your own sisters, your own brothers, your own loved ones will betray you. 
those of your own immediate blood about you, there'll be a division over the fact that you have put your faith in Christ and they're going out to serve this Messiah and, and to live for the honor and the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the peace with a Christian isn't on the outside. The peace with a Christian is on the inside. It's peace with God. It's the peace of God which passeth all understanding. And our hearts and our minds are kept in that peace because we are held securely in the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. But on the outside, in the great witness and in the great testimony of the true church of our Lord Jesus Christ, it has never been anything such as we would call peace. Look at the accusations that they make when they laid their hand upon this man, Paul. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people. Was Paul against the people? No, he wasn't against the people. But this is the broad, general accusation. This man's against the people. Uh, this man has no sense of obligation or responsibility to the people. He's against the people. Now, as I read these accusations to you, I want to point out to you that Luke is writing. Luke was also a companion of Paul, and actually he was with Paul. He was on Paul's side in this battle, definitely on Paul's side. But he's in a position to report what was being said against Paul. But we have the additional protection, and that is that Luke is also writing under divine inspiration. And the Holy Spirit wants the record to show for the blessing of the church in Collingswood in 1966, or any people that are in troubles. The Holy Spirit wants the record to show the nature of the opposition and the nature of the accusation and the way in which the enemies of the gospel conducted themselves. He wants us to see that so we can be aware of this sort of thing. Beloved, there's never been a time in the history of the church when the church found itself under persecution. When men are thrown in prison, when Paisley and these men are put in jail, and we get into difficulties with the state of Pennsylvania as we're in difficulty now with this Resolution 160. There's never been a time in the history of the church when things like this happened, but the people of God didn't run back to the book of Acts and begin to read it and study it and see what was going on back there and see how the Lord delivered Paul and how these accusations were made against him. He's against the people and the law. Was Paul against the law? Did Paul ever go out and break the law? Was he engaged in any form of law defiance that you can find anywhere in the book of Acts? I can't find it. He wasn't a promoter of civil disobedience. He didn't believe in anything like that. He's against the law. Paul was not against the law. He wasn't against the civil law. And he wasn't against the ecclesiastical law. He believed in the law of Moses. As a matter of fact, the messages he had to preach explained to everybody that the transgressions of the law of which all were guilty could be pardoned by the blood of the Lord who had been shed on the cross of Calvary. And there was a place for repentance because of your breaking of the laws of God. Do you mean to say that when you say sin is the transgression of the law, that you're against the law? Of course not. That's what Paul argues in Romans. 
Paul says, are we against the law? No, he says, the law is holy. The law is good. And Paul was never against the law, but they said he was. And against this place, this place, this place, this place, he was in the temple. Was the apostle Paul against the temple? Of course he was not against the temple. He was actually in the temple going through one of their rites and he was bringing an offering. Paul wasn't against the temple, but he was against the false teaching and the abuse and the way in which the things of the temple had been turned against the Lord himself. That's what he was opposed to. That's what he was against. Now, and further hath brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. Now verse 30. And all the city was moved and the people ran together and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple and forthwith shut the doors and as they went about to kill him as they went about to kill him Beloved, do you know at the present moment in our country in our country this campaign of smear and abuse and just broad generalized accusation that's been hurled against men like myself and others is designed to stir up the people just exactly like this type of accusation stirred up the people in Jerusalem against the apostle. So they wouldn't listen to him. And so they'd be willing to lay their hands on him and kill that man. And that's exactly what was done in this particular instance. And the Apostle Paul found himself in the midst of a terrific mob. He hadn't done anything. He hadn't broken any laws. They said, he's the man. This is what he's done. This is what he's done. And they went out and stirred up all the people. And then they took him and they were laying hands on him. And they were going to kill this man, Paul, right then and there. Did you ever stop to think, beloved, that this brainwashing process, which a lot of us are subject to with this NBC TV program and the type of program they had this morning, you know, bringing all this material in from Geneva and brainwashing the American people and making statements, statements which are not true and misrepresenting what's going on in the Christian world. Did you ever stop to think that that sort of a process is designed to create a condition and to create an atmosphere in this country? where the people in the United States will be against the type of thing that you and I represent and believe. That's exactly what it is. And all I have to do is to read it out of the book of Acts and you see the same type of thing taking place in our day that took place then. All right. You know what happened, of course. We come on down a little further in verse 20, verse 32. First, all Jerusalem was in an uproar who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. This was the chief captain. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left off beating Paul. They were already beating him. And then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. Well, they arrested the wrong crowd. They shouldn't have arrested Paul. They should have taken the others in hand. But now we come on down a little forward, verse 36. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, Away with him! And then, of course, <coughs> they were taken over to the... <coughs> to the uh, Paul there and Paul, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with his hand that's verse 40 under the people 
And then we have Paul getting up, making a speech there in that mob, speaking in Hebrew, and they, and they kind of quieted down when they heard him talking in Hebrew. And you come on down to verse 22, look at this. And they gave him audience until this word. At this point, they interrupted his speech, see? And lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and made that he should be examined by scourging that he might know whereof they cried against him. And of course it is at this point that the apostle Paul appeals to the fact that he's a Roman citizen and his Roman citizenship saved him from that scourging. And we do have some, some Christians who misunderstand the Bible and uh, they, they, they're so sweet and so pacifist that they think it was wrong even from Paul to appeal to his Roman citizenship to protect him. No, beloved, you and I as Christians can thank God for our citizenship and any time our citizenship will protect us or protect our lives, we ought to be willing to appeal to it. And Paul did at this particular point. Now we move on down and I want to take you through these various uh, experiences. But I want you to get over here to where Ananias, the high priest, came down to Caesarea. And it's interesting that Paul was first taken before Ananias. And Ananias was going to judge him and the, uh, Ananias slapped him. Slapped him. Verse 2 it is of chapter 23. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by to smite him on the mouth. Then Paul said, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest, commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. You know, Paul wasn't very polite, was he? Imagine calling the high priest a whited wall. Well, Jesus Christ called them whited sepulchers. He just makes walls out of them instead of sepulchers. Thou the high priest was going to judge him according to the law and he had him smitten before he even got to any hearing or any conclusion or any judgment about the thing at all. Well, we get on over a little further in this sequence of events. <clears throat> Paul is now in the hands of Felix. This is verse 24. And Ananias comes down now and now he's the prosecutor. He brings along with him a prosecutor by the name of Tertullius. And in verse 2 we read, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness. You've kept good order here, Felix. And that uh, very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy province. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of, the, uh, of thy clemency a few words. We have found this man, this man, a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout all the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now there we go with our accusations again. Ananias brings down a lawyer with him by the name of Tertullus. They get up in the presence of Felix and they begin making these charges. He's a pestilent fellow. 
He's a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout all the world, he says, throughout the world. And then he's a ringleader of this sect that they call the, the, the Nazarenes. Verse 9. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things weren't so. Well, they weren't so at all. They weren't so at all. But the Jews alleged that they were. Now, notice, if you will, please, in verse 12, where the Apostle Paul begins to speak. And he says, They neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues, nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. Paul gets up and says, I'm not a pestilent fella. I haven't upset any city. I've gone about in good peace and good order. And furthermore, you can't prove these accusations that you're laying against me. May I say to you people, they can't prove the accusations that they laid against Eon Paisley over there to put him in jail. They just can't prove them. They accused him of having an unlawful assembly. He didn't have an unlawful assembly. He was making a parade where he had a permit to hold it. But the ecclesiastical leaders and the religious leaders, uh, the political leaders, they had to do something to stop this man Paisley. His words were too powerful. His message was too straight. And he was reaching thousands of people in North Ireland crying out for the word and against this great apostasy and against the ecumenical movement. And he's no more guilty than your pastor is guilty standing in this pulpit right now. They can't prove the things against Paisley. Here are the charges and you got a similar situation as you find it right here in the book of Acts. Now, beloved, you and I in this land of ours are finding ourselves in a situation that's developed through the years in which the same type of thing is closing in and is beginning to pinch and the same type of thing is coming into a very, very direct focus. And we've seen it in many ways, but it was when WXUR over here, when this radio station was purchased, well, you can go back before that if you want to, the pressures that were put upon uh, the station in Chester that we were on for so many years to get them to throw this broadcast off the air so it wouldn't be heard. WVCH. And it was successful. And then when the seminary bought the stock and the station was uh, to operate here in our area and the station indicated that it would sell time to us so we could talk on these issues and get this question before the country. Then they went in, all these various groups, and they came out from under their cover, and they went in to complain to see that that wasn't done, and as you know, the FCC did it. They granted the license, and the station began to operate. And then we said the day will come when they'll make another move, and the next move that happened was Resolution 160. Resolution 160, when the state of Pennsylvania, in its political action, the House of Representatives adopted a resolution, and the whole resolution, the whole body of it, was directed against us. Statements, some statements, which are just as untrue as the statements that are in this book of Acts. And they summarize it all up with an appeal to the government to not relicense this station, WXUR, to investigate this whole matter. And you know the substance of that. Then, when the time came for the renewal of that license, 
Here comes many of these groups again back in with a complaint asking for the license be not renewed, which means that this radio station is to be put off the air, ladies and gentlemen. You dear people must recognize that here's an appeal to silence a radio station in our immediate area. And uh, I thought maybe I'd read this morning the list of these groups in our immediate area that would like to have this radio station put off the air. You people don't realize what's going on behind your backs. You don't realize what's going on right around you. You don't realize the import of this thing. All right, here they are. The first one is the AFL-CIO of Pennsylvania. Harry Boyer, president. And thank God last Tuesday when we were on that marathon, this dear lady called in and says, my husband is in this union and he's against what the president's done and we're coming up to Harrisburg, Dr. McIntyre. Many of you heard that statement. But here's the president of the AFL-CIO who's on your Human Relations Commission set up by the legislature with power to enforce its directives by civil sanctions. American Baptist Convention right out here at Valley Forge signed by a representative of their group. American Jewish Conference, Delaware County Council. Anti-Defamation League, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Delaware. Board of Social Ministry, Lutheran Synod of Eastern Pennsylvania. Brith Shalom, Catholic Community Relations Council, Catholic Star Herald here in Camden. Somebody wrote the Roman Catholic objected to their intolerance and wanting to silence a radio station. And the editor wrote back in the little note that he wrote that they, he didn't think that the communists should be permitted to have a radio station or the Ku Klux Klan should be permitted to have a radio station and neither should Faith Seminary be permitted to have a radio station. That's in your Catholic Star Herald. Then you come the First Presbyterian Church of Lower Marion, the Greater Philadelphia Council of Churches, and this represents all these groups, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, all of them in the National Council groups. And here they are, Jewish Community Relations Council, Jewish Labor Council, and then you come on NAACP, beloved. And then this is what I want to get you people to see because they let this thing come over to New Jersey, the New Jersey Council of Churches. Signed by their general secretary, the Reverend Alexander M. Shaw. And that means every church in this state, beloved, that's in the National Council of Churches and in the New Jersey Council of Churches, they're the same organizations, are asking that this radio station be put off the air. That means it's the Methodist Church in Collingswood. It's the Presbyterian Church in Haddonfield. It's the Methodist Church in Haddonfield. Every one of these churches here in your state that are affiliated with this council, they are represented in this council. And here comes their council asking that this radio station be put off the air. We have these other groups, American Jewish, a lot. Let me read you their charges. Let me read you their charges. Here's the complaint. <clears throat> the previous submission to the Federal Communications Commission was occasioned by the application for transfer of control of license uh, of station WXUR, AM and FM and media. From the individuals to the Faith Theological Seminary Incorporated. Complaint, of course, they're wrong in fact at that point. The complaint was based on the past record of Carl McIntyre, who was then and still is president of the board of directors of Faith Theological Seminary. 
This is how the Federal Communications Commission, in its memorandum and opinion and order on the application for transfer, described the essentials of the complaint concerning McIntyre. This is the man, beloved. This is the man. The main thrust of the complaints concerning McIntyre is that in his radio programs and publications he has made false and misleading statements and deliberate distortions concerning religious unity. And then they have quite a few lists in here. Intemperate attacks on other religious denominations and leaders, various organizations, agencies, and the like. Nowhere at any point in anything they have ever submitted or ever said have they put it down in black and white what I'm alleged to have said. Just isn't there. Do you know who the chief counsel is for this? They have a list of attorneys here, quite a bevy of them, but the chief counsel is Arnold Foster. Arnold Foster. And Arnold Foster and... Uh, Benjamin Epstein wrote the book, Danger on the Right. And this book, Danger on the Right, has a whole chapter in it dealing with your pastor and with the movement of which we're a part. And in this whole chapter dealing with us, there are many, many things in it that just simply aren't true according to fact at all. But the uh, uh, chapter, of course, seeks to identify us and classify us as those who are a part of the radical right. And then he goes on at great length, and what amazes me is that some good friend of ours somewhere along the line was reading this, and they had also actually read Resolution 160, and they noticed the similarity in it, and they checked on it, and they called my attention to it, and we checked on it, and let me just read it to you. Here is Resolution 160. Reverend McIntyre began his ministry with the Presbyterian Church in the USA. He was ousted from the clergy of that denomination in 1936. He then built his own house of worship and set up his own church federation, the American Council of Christian Churches. Listen to this, page 101. McIntyre built his own house of worship. They left out the word McIntyre. They said, here, he then built his own house of worship. He also set up his own church federation, the American Council of Christian Churches. In the resolution, it says, I think they left out the word also. He set up his own house, his own church federation, the American Council of Christian Churches. Then you read down here, it said he was ousted from the clergy. They've got that one, two different times. And they say he was ousted from the clergy of that denomination. Phrase by phrase, section by section. The resolution has a strange affinity to the book. And Arnold Foster was one of the authors of this book, the chief counsel of the Anti-Defamation League. And Arnold Foster is the first attorney listed in the bevy of attorneys requesting that this station be put off the air. And he's one of the attorneys for the New Jersey Council of Churches and the Philadelphia Metropolitan Council of Churches, Arnold Foster. And then when you read this thing, how carefully it's phrased, you can't help but say that some legal mind had something to do with that, tying that thing into the action of the Federal Communications Commission in relation to this thing. Now, I make no charges, but I'd almost be willing to ask you to make three guesses as to who wrote this. And it may be in the good providence of God we'll find out before we get through. But oh, 
beloved, here it comes at that station, silencing a voice through the state legislature, now in these complaints. And beloved, what does it involve? It involves the state of Pennsylvania in a resolution that gets into our ministry, our activity, the conflicts between the American Council on one side and the National Council. And they say here, McIntyre immediately began vicious attacks on the National Council of Churches. In here, I don't think they use the word vicious, but they say we began, be, be made constant attacks upon the National Council of Churches. Beloved, I stand in this pulpit today as your pastor. And I'm ready to go up to Jerusalem and to be bound and to die if necessary. But I want you people in the state of Pennsylvania and in the state of New Jersey to recognize that we're dealing with the same kind of forces that opposed the gospel in the first century. We're dealing with it. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is involved. And what's going to happen to the church? And what kind of a church is going to be preserved? And all of these things are involved. And this past week when Ms. McIntyre was on the radio with me and she'd went into this life of William Penn and saw that six different times William Penn was put in jail. Six times he went there. One time he was there for nine months. And then we were on the radio on Tuesday and some dear lady calls up from out in Lancaster. I hope I'll get to meet her this afternoon. And she says, we're living on a farm here that the Mennonites developed. And it was William Penn that went and got the Mennonites to come to his colony where they'd be protected. It was William Penn that went to Germany and got the Pennsylvania Dutch to come to the colony where they'd be protected from this kind of abuse. And beloved, as I stand in your pulpit this morning, if I could just do something to some of the hearts of you dear people in this church, some of you don't understand. Some of you don't realize the tide and the current. And there has to be somebody in this country. And surely a pulpit, which is a large church. Do you expect the little tiny churches to do something? No, it's the bigger churches that ought to lead the way. It's those of us who see these things in the light of the book of Acts, in the light of the false accusations made against the Apostle Paul. Have I made vicious accusations against the National Council of Churches? Have I ever done anything like that? No, I have preached the truth. And I'm going to continue to preach the truth. And we've tried to hear the line straight. And ask God's people to stand with us because of the clarity of the position. Now we're going to have a great meeting. I don't know how many people are going to come. Nobody knows. We don't have anything but just the Spirit of God to help us. But we have God on our side. And your pastor these last three months with Cape May and with here and everything else, I've just spent and be, been spent until my strength is just about gone. I have done everything I can to reach the people of this state in this area with these issues. And I've seen souls saved. I've seen men come up to me and say, McIntyre, I'll never go into that old National Council outfit again. I'm finished. And when I went up there the other last night up to the northern Pennsylvania and they came and I was so thrilled when that fellow told the story. He says, one of the men downtown, he says, who is that guy on the radio? He says, it looks to me like he's going to take the dome off the Capitol and turn it upside down. Well, we're not going to do anything like that, of course, but figuratively speaking, we would like to turn this old state of Pennsylvania back to Jesus Christ. Figuratively speaking, we'd like to take the Collingswood Church 
and all you dear people in it. And let you realize that when next Saturday comes, that ought to be the first item of business for you. You don't have to go see your relatives this week. Postpone it a week. You don't have to do this next Saturday. You don't have to do that next Saturday. This is the first Saturday we've had. And if God gives us a good day next Saturday, which we're praying He will, we'll see anywhere from 10,000 to 100,000 people gather up there. Nobody knows how many's coming. But if we can gather with our Bibles, and if we can gather to say a word for the three men in prison in Ireland, if we can gather to say we want the Bible back in schools in this country, if we can gather to say that we want some righteousness exalted in this land, and that we're the people who stand against communism and socialism because it takes away our liberty. If we can gather the people from throughout this area and let the political leaders and let these men clear up to the White House of the United States understand that some people in this country who believe in God, we believe the Bible, we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they come with their false accusations, when they come with these generalized pronouncements, when they come with a resolution 160 from the House of Representatives of the state of Pennsylvania, we're going to rise up and tell God's people that is a transgression of your liberty and of your heritage. Let us pray. Our Father... Oh, gracious God, Thou hast told us that in the last days many would be deceived. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And oh, gracious God, rekindle our love, our love for Christ, our love for freedom our love for this blessed book. We read the book of Acts with a freshness. And there's a vitality in these accounts that we never saw before until Paisley got in prison. And there are elements in it that we never understood as we understand them today until the legislature passed Resolution 160. And we see these powerful forces, Lord. These council of churches and these NAACP and the labor unions and these Jewish groups. Lord, they've all joined together to silence, to hurt, to hinder, to damage. And Lord, be with us in the fight. May we not make mistakes, guard our tongues so we don't say anything that can be used against us. And oh, Lord, be with us this afternoon as we go again as another one of these great rallies. And Father, shake this nation. Shake it, Lord. Break through this indifference. Break through these barriers. May the people understand what's being done. And Lord, may thy people be willing to suffer afflictions for the sake of the gospel. For Christ's sake, amen.